Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. We've received confirmation that the eagle has landed. Pastor Eric is in Africa. He is alive and well, and uh, he will be there for the rest of the week. So um, keep him and Alex in your prayers and the rest of the team that he is with. Um, They're going to be doing awesome things, um, preaching, evangelizing, doing leadership conferences, and um, Alex will be filming it all, so when, we get, when he gets back, we'll have a, an awesome, uh, awesome movie and videos to watch. Um, so you got me tonight. Uh, the pastor's wife already left, so uh, who knows what I'm about to say. Oh, oh nope, she left. She's gone. So let's, uh, let's pray, and then let's have some fun tonight, guys. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that on a Wednesday night in the middle of McKinney, Texas, that you can show up here to do miracle signs and wonders. We thank you that in this moment right here, we are available to hear your voice, to experience your presence, to taste your love, to experience and encounter your healing, your prosperity, everything that you have to offer today. We make ourselves available to receive it today, Father. We come hungry today. We put off everything that happened today and has happened through this week, what happened at the job, what happened at home, and we come here today with our hearts open to hear your voice, to experience you, to be equipped, to be empowered, to be expecting to see you show up in our lives today. Father, I thank you that you flow through me and you remove all of those Cajun illiterate words that I usually say and say some smart words tonight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And God, real quick, bless Pastor Eric and Alex. Keep them safe, protect them, be with them, let your presence reside, that everywhere they go, you are with them, you are empowering them, miracles, signs, and wonders. They're casting out demons, they're raising the dead. They are doing your work where they are right now, Father, and let them leave an impact in every place that they go. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God gets blamed for a lot of things. Mainly, whenever a big natural disaster happens, God always gets blamed for it. It's always, well, God sent it that way. When, they, when the big earthquake happened in Japan and the tsunami's happy, everybody wanted to get up there and say, God sent it there. He was washing out Japan. Whenever I was younger... In Louisiana, we had Katrina happen, and I'm a little bitter about Katrina because I live on the other side of Louisiana, and there was a hurricane by the name of Rita that really did some damage to our side, um, but Katrina kind of took all of our CNN glory, and uh, they kind of like ran over to our hometown for like a day, and they're like, oh, hey, here's the hurricane. Okay, enough about them. We're going back to New Orleans and Katrina, Um, but I'm working through that, and and God is healing me um, from that. But when Katrina came through and, and hit New Orleans, everybody stood up from the pulpits, not everybody, but majority of people, and they said, well, God was washing out New Orleans. He was cleaning them out for their sin. But the thing is, Bourbon Street didn't get hit at all. There was actually a bar in Bourbon Street that stayed open the entire time the hurricane happened. And me and my wife went to New Orleans a couple weekends ago, and Bourbon Street's still open, and there's still people walking up and down. There's, there's still bars and, and not-so-good places there. I scratched my head and said, man, God, you got terrible aim. You'd, for being blamed for something, you think that you would have destroyed it. And Vegas is just sitting over there laughing at you, God. They're just sitting over there. And the strongholds in 
Iraq and all those places and ISIS, God, they're just laughing at you. You can't send an earthquake or a hailstorm or something there. He gets blamed for natural disasters that he didn't cause. But tonight, I want to talk about a natural disaster that God actually caused. Let's give him some credit for a natural disaster that he caused. Because you can read all through the scriptures and, and you can find natural disasters to blame God on. I mean, we could start with a little event called the flood. I mean, if he's going to destroy people for something wicked, he doesn't miss the main street that he was supposed to hit. He sunk the whole world. That's, that's a natural disaster when God causes it. He did something like parting the Red Sea. How many times did he save Israel by throwing large hailstones at their enemies? How about the time where he did the opposite of causing a natural disaster, but he walked out on a boat and he said, peace be still, and the natural disaster ceased. So there's some natural disasters that we can blame him for if we want to. But we're not going to talk about any of those. We're going to talk about the natural disaster in Acts chapter 16. Starting in verse 25, we've heard this story before, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. We'll stop right there. A natural disaster that he caused. We've all had issues, problems, whatever you want to call them, in your life. And when those issues and problems arise, what do we do in those moments? What is our first response? What is our first idea? What is our first reaction? What about when you get charged with an issue, when you get caught up in a problem, but you were actually doing something good and you still got in trouble for it? How do you react? What do you do? You see, Paul and Silas show up in this town and they meet some people and they're talking about Jesus. And as they're walking through the city, there's this woman that's just, just nagging him, just, just nagging him. And how is this woman nagging Paul and Silas? She's supposedly possessed with a demon. Not a woman, please, come on. We see that she keeps yelling at them that these are men of the Most High God, that these are prophets, that these are godly men. I mean, it's like you got your own cheerleader, Paul. Calm down. You got your own announcement happening everywhere you go. But it's not a good cheerleader. And it just day after day, he's just, he just endures it. And then finally, he has enough and he turns around to her and he says, Demon, come out. We're done. It's enough. And immediately the demon leaves. But what happens is this woman is a not-so-good prophetess. And there's these guys that are making money off of her by reading your palms, flipping over the tarot cards, telling you what you're going to wear tomorrow, saying what you ate last night. And now all of a sudden, they bring her to a customer I said, tell him what he ate last night. I got nothing. Oh, come over here. Tell, tell this person where they're going in their future. I got nothing. And they get mad at Paul and Silas, and they bring Paul and Silas 
to the police and they say, these guys are messing everything up, just, just messing everything up. We've got we to gotta take care of them. And without an investigation, without further in understanding the story, they just decide to beat Paul and Silas, just right there, strip their clothes off and just get to beating on him. They throw him in jail, and there they are at midnight, sitting in a jail, chained up, beaten, bloodied, bruised. After doing something right, after doing something good, they find themselves in this problem. They find themselves in this issue. They find themselves scratching their heads, saying, God, we, we were doing your will. We did, we did something good for you. What, what's going on right here? They could have said, they could have questioned God. They could have cried. They could have sang, woe is me. They could have yelled at each other. Silas could have been cussing out Paul saying, what, why'd you bring me on this? Why, why are we here? Why did I agree to sign up with this? But it says that in the middle of everything that they prayed and they worshipped. The very first thing that they did. What's the very first thing that comes out of your mouth when you're in the middle of a circumstance that you're scratching your head and you're asking God and you're trying to figure out how you ended up where you're at. Is it praise and worship? Is it blame? Is it frustration? We see Paul and Silas right here showing us the importance and the power of praise and worship and what it can do when they take their eyes off of the problem they put their focus completely on God. It doesn't even say that they questioned how they were going to get out. There was no escape plan that Paul and Silas were talking through right there. All right, when the guard comes in, we're going to do the okey-doke. I'm going to trip him. You're going to punch him. Grab the keys. Do a little matrix. I'll do the lock. We'll take off running. Slowest person gets left behind. Nothing. They just start offering up praise and worship. They just start singing. They just start thanking Him. They just start opening their mouths, and out of the abundance of their heart, their mouth is speaking, and it's not speaking negativity. It's not speaking worry. It's not speaking fear. It's not speaking pain. It's just speaking the name of Jesus. And it says that at that moment, the prisoners were listening. That there were people around them that were in the same circumstance, that had probably gone through the same beating, that had probably done worse things than what Paul and Silas had done, that deserved to be there, but yet, it doesn't say in the Scriptures that they're shouting down Paul and Silas. It doesn't say that they're cussing them out and telling them to be quiet. It says they're sitting there and they're listening. You see, right now in this moment of whatever you're going through in your life, there are people that are listening. There are people that are watching. There are people that are sitting here going through the same thing, looking at you, wondering, are they going to make it? What are they going to do? They say they love God. They say that they're all for Him. They say that they want to see Him show up mighty in His life, and they're sitting there and they're listening to what you're saying. And on top of that, you yourself are sitting there in that situation listening to what your own mouth is saying. 
what your own mouth is projecting. Because faith comes by hearing. Good faith and bad faith. How are you going to get out of it? Is it by worshiping? Is it by praying? Whenever, a couple of years after we had moved here, I was working at a job, and it wasn't the best of jobs, and for whatever reason, I started having like these weird anxiety attacks. I guess that's the best way I could call them. And I never had them before, and I would wake up every morning, and it was just this weird feeling that I had never experienced before. It was this fear that I didn't know why I was afraid. I didn't know why why I had this anxiousness about me. I didn't, I didn't know where it was coming from. I didn't know why it was there. And so I would drive to work every morning and pray and try and figure out, God, like what's going on here? What's happening? And eventually I was led to the scripture, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus our Lord. Every day going to work, I would, I would get in my car and I would be driving and I would have this you know, shortness of breath and this, this weird anxious feeling and this fear and all these things. And I'd grip the wheel as I drove. And there wasn't anything I could say except be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, the peace of God, and the peace of God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard my heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Okay, I could take a breath. I could take a breath. Okay, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, make his requests known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard my heart and mind through Christ Jesus. And day after day after day after day as I drove to work, I would grip the wheel, and that was the only thing that I could get out my mouth. After a while, it just stopped happening. And I had latched on to these scriptures that forever changed my life in that moment to be anxious for nothing. And I would ask God, be anxious for nothing? That's such a broad statement. That's such an annoying statement. Because I'm anxious right now in this moment. You're telling me to be anxious in nothing. And then you follow it up with the statement of the peace of God that passes all understanding. Well, that's great if it passes all understanding, but I, I want to understand right now. I just need to understand right now, God. But I understood. I don't know how, but I understood that I'm anxious in nothing, that I can walk through anything. I can be in the midst of the biggest problem of my life, but I'm anxious in nothing because he told me to be anxious. And he says that if I'm anxious and I make my requests known to God, if I pray, if I worship, if I speak to him, then all of a sudden the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard my heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So the first thing is just don't be anxious. We see Paul and Silas in this moment that they're just worshiping out of their heart. And it says, and suddenly the earthquake happens. Suddenly. 
in that moment, everything changed. The victory was won. The problem is over. The issue is solved. But Paul and Silas don't leave the jail cell. If that's me and the door's open, bye. (laughs) See you later. I'm not taking that beating again. I'm not smelling those smells in jail. I'm not dealing with those people around me. I'm not eating that bologna sandwich anymore. I'm gone. But they stay there. Why do they stay there? So we keep reading. Let's see if the thumbprint works. There we go. We pick it up in verse 27. And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, sprang in, and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas. Worthy, worthy, we praise you, Lord, we bless you. Earthquake. Doors open. Chains fall off. Standing right there. All the prisoners, all around, all their chains are off. All their doors are open. And no one moves in the middle of this issue, in the middle of this problem. And then all of a sudden we see their authority and their show up on the scene. He's about to kill himself because he knows that he potentially just lost one, two, three, a hundred, five hundred prisoners, especially two important prisoners. And right as he's about to fall on his own sword, he hears somebody in the back of the dark cell say, hold on, we're still here, don't kill yourself, it's not that crucial, just don't hit me. And we see that Paul and Silas, although going through this problem, going through this issue, that somehow they've submitted themselves to their authority. That they understand that the authority that was placed over them at that time, being this prisoner, me working in a jail before, telling, you better stay in your cell. Better not move unless I tell you to move. And Paul and Silas obeyed this crazy authority and obeyed this crazy command. Because when we're walking through an issue in our lives and we're speaking the goodness of God, and we're praising Him, and we're not focused on the issue, we're not focused on what's going on, and our next step is to submit to the authority that God has placed in our lives. Whenever I was in college, I worked in a prison. And I remember coming down a hallway one day and and one of my supervisors, lieutenant, sergeant, whoever it was, sees me walking down the hall and he he starts yelling for me to come. He's waving his arms and and so I'm walking toward him and eventually I I speed up in the urgency of his voice and, and I get to where he's at and he says, I need you to go down here to this isolated cell. Some of our 
uh, other guards are, are fighting this guy, they need extra hands, go in there and help them. And so these, um, these cells were, were isolation cells where there were um, people that were going to commit suicide or they were um, in there for disciplinary reasons and they were, they were troublemakers. And so they had uh, these um, just glass doors that opened and closed and then you'd walk in there and there'd be like five or six individual cells. Well, I looked down the hallway and there's nobody down the hallway and there's one cell door that's open. And he says, well, he says, I can't go in there and help them because I have to stay up here. There was a tower that had all these buttons and electronic things that you had to unlock and lock the door and somebody always had to be in it. And he goes, I can't be in it, so I need you to go. But it, it, wasn't, it wasn't as urgent as he made it sound. And I, I wasn't really that... Um, I wasn't really believing him that much, but he made it urgent enough, so I said, all right, I'm going in. So I, I walk over there, and I open this door, and when I open it, um, there's this, this smell that hits me, that it's, it's not roses, and it's not flowery, um, but uh, it, it, it smelled really bad. And so I take a step in, I say, okay, don't throw up, um, and I keep making my way to it. And finally I get to the door that's half open. And I turn into the door. And there are two trustees, two inmates that are, are working for us um, for good time. And they both have these plungers. And they are unplugging this toilet. And there is about half a foot of water coming out of the cell with all kind of extras in there as they have masks wrapped around them. And they are vigorously unclogging this thing. And I turn around and look as my supervisor is on the floor laughing, crying with the rest of everyone else. As I try not to throw up. But he was my authority. And, and sometimes we have to submit to our authority and they tell us to do crazy things. You see, in the book of 2 Kings, there's a story about an army sergeant by the name of Nahum who has leprosy. And he hears about Elisha that he can heal him. So he goes to Elisha to his house and he says, Help me out, brother. I'm dying here. My arm, nose, and ears are falling off. And Elisha doesn't even go out there. He just sends a servant. He says, hey, go tell him to dip in the River Jordan uh, one, two, three, uh, seven times. Seven times, that'll, that'll work. And all of a sudden, this general, this high-ranking official in the military, has this servant boy come up to him, say, hey, um, my boss, uh, Elisha, he told me you have to go to this river. It's called the River Jordan. Just just Google map it. It's right around the corner uh, down the road. And, uh, and then you get inside it, and you do seven up, downs, and around, and you'll be healed. And all of a sudden, he takes this massive offense. He says, what? No. He says, in my hometown, there are way better, way better rivers. I'm not going dunk in the Mississippi when... Can go somewhere better. 
And somebody said, why don't you just do it? You know, maybe, maybe, it'll, maybe it'll work. And once he got off his high horse, he walked into the River Jordan, and he did one, he did two, he did three, he did four, he did five, he did six, he did seven, and when he came out, his skin was as smooth as a baby. Oh, this feller knew something. Submitting to authority, submitting to leadership that God has placed in your life. Throughout my life, I've had so many different people that have been over my life, you know, I Having parents, I still submit to them. I still call mom and dad and talk with them and ask them about things in my life. Because it says, honor your father and mother. It didn't give an age limit. Sometimes my parents remind that. You got to obey me. I'm your parent. Oh, okay. Well, so I still call them. I still talk to them. I, I still submit to what they have to say. I have bosses at work that say weird, crazy things sometimes, but submit to them. I have pastors who are also my bosses that I submit to that are great and perfect and awesome, and I love them. Sometimes she tells us to do some crazy things. I have a wife who I do whatever she tells me to do. I just... (laughs) learn to submit to that, who, by the way, her birthday is Friday, and I want to say happy birthday to you, because I love you. Um, What? I've got a birthday wrap, but there's not a beat, so we'll, we'll do it, we'll do it later, we'll do it. Happy birthday, no, I'm joking. Happy birthday, babe. You're my life, my heart. Okay, well, all right, well, all right, going over here. I tried. But there's times where my wife leadership will call my pastor leadership and tell my pastor leadership that somebody's not being the best of people in the world or they have an attitude or, you know. So then my pastor leadership calls me and says, hey, let's go get coffee, and I say, I don't drink coffee, so I think I'm in trouble. Um, so like a month or two ago, I went on one of our coffee dates. <laughs> so um, me and Pastor Eric are talking and, you know, I'm trying to avoid whatever I'm supposed to say. And he's like, well, your wife texts me. Oh, okay, well, how'd that go? Well, you're here. Okay, well... But it's great to have the leadership to sit there and the authority to to speak into our lives. Because in that conversation, I I was able to to voice some frustrations, um, to to just talk about some things in my life. And and being the great leader and, and the great pastor that Pastor Eric is, and me submitting to that, we can talk through things and he can say, yeah, I know how you feel. I've been there before. I've experienced that before. And I'm like, oh, hey, he understands me. This is, this is great. I'm not wrong. She's wrong. And I've got all the ammo to go back and dump it in her face. But then the conversation quickly turns to where he's like, that's wrong thinking, son. You need to repent. You need to repent for that thinking. You need to repent. 
I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm sorry. But it says in Romans 13, chapter 1, it says, let every soul, every soul, does it say just pastors right there? Does it say just men? Does it just say older people? No, it says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authority that exists are appointed by God. So we all in our lives need to have some form of authority in our lives. And you have it in your lives. You, you have parents, you have friends, you have pastors, you have leaders, that you have bosses, you have spouses, you have people in your lives that are telling you good things. I can hear you now, well, every time I talk with Pastor Heather, she tells me the same thing over and over again. I'm tired of hearing the same thing over and over again. Let me tell you this small truth. Pastor Heather is tired of telling you the same thing over and over again as well. She's not doing it out of, out of fun. She, she's saying it over and over again because you haven't done the thing that she's told you to do over and over again. But that's leadership. That's authority. That, that, that they can speak into your lives. That they can encourage you. That they can tell you things that you don't really want to hear. There were, there were times when I would have a... I guess these are all just coffee dates with Pastor Eric, confession time, whenever I was looking for a job. And I was unemployed for 10 months, and I'm praying, and I'm asking God for money, for a job, for anything, like, what, what are you doing, God? Where are you? What's happening? And my faithful pastor keeps running me up here on stage to do offering, to talk to the church about how to be financially blessed, how to be prosperous in your life, how to be out of debt, how... God wants to see you get a job. And I can't tell you how many times I would go on these coffee dates and I would say, that's it. Take me off the stage. I do not deserve to be up there talking about offering. I'm not your guy. I'm not the one that needs to be up there. I hate it. I'm a hypocrite. It's embarrassing. Every time, my lovely, amazing authority would say, you're exactly where you need to be. I don't care if anybody listens to your offering messages. You need to hear them yourself. So you get up there every time, and you speak the Scripture, you speak financial prosperity, and you speak it over your life over and over and over again. I said, I don't receive that. That is not right. But I will get back up there on Sunday. And yet, here I am every Sunday, because I have good authority in my life. So no matter what I'm going through in life, I know that I can reach out to the Father, and in the middle of my circumstance, in the middle of my issues, I can just start worshiping and praising Him and thanking Him, but I have people that I can lean on, I have people that I can call, I have people that I can talk to, that can speak life into me, that can, that can sympathize with me and say, I know what you're going through but can also stand up there and say, God's not done with you, net. God still loves you. God still cares for you. God's still going to help you overcome everything that you go through. Do you have the authority and the leadership in your life? And if you come to this church, you hear it every Sunday and Wednesday, you do have it. You do have amazing pastors that can stand up here and preach the Word of God and encourage you to overcome any situation. And my last point, in Acts 16.32 We'll read down to it, um, starting in verse 29. Then he called a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spoke unto him the word of the Lord and all that were in his house. And he took them that same hour, verse 33, of the night, 
washed their stripes, was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into the house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. The last thing is help others. And honestly, when you're going through something in your life, it's very easy to become isolated. It's very easy to become woe is me. It's very easy to get self-centered and push away everyone because they don't know what you're going through. They've never experienced that before. Nobody in the whole world ever, never, ever has ever gone through what you're going through. I'm saying it because this message is for me. This is, these, these three points are, are, are things that, that I've learned, that I, I go through every time that I'm encountering something. It's something that I learn. It's something that I do because I know that it works. I know that it helps. I know that it changes my perspective. When I take my eyes off of myself and what I'm going through and I look up into the heavens and I look out to others and I extend my hand to others, we see that Paul and Silas said in that moment, it's pitch black, it's dark, it's midnight, the doors are open. All they had to do was feel their way to the door. No, not that way. Paul, this way. Marco! Polo! How are you so far behind? Come on. We're almost there. But they stand there. And they say there's a light. And they bring the light in. And there's the guy. He's about to kill himself. He says, don't kill yourself. We're all still here. And he recognizes that a miracle had just happened. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And all of a sudden, Paul and Silas have an audience. Not just in front of the cop right there, they have an audience in front of the entire prison. And he preaches the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He takes that moment, bloody, bruised, painful, when he could have got his revenge, could have been one of the guys that hit him. Could have been one of the guys that beat him up. He could have stood there and is anybody here? I'm about to kill myself. Shh, shh, shh. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. He'll probably, he might do it. He said, no, no, we're here. Don't, don't hurt yourself. He goes out of his way to save this man's life. And he's so overcome with emotion and experiencing Jesus and experiencing Jesus through someone. He says, you've got to come to my house. What you've done for me, you've got to do for the rest of my family. And then the very man that was putting him through the pain, is now restoring his pain by feeding him, by bathing him, by cleaning him, by helping him through the very problem that he had brought him into. We see Jesus on the cross. In Luke, we see him dying. And there's a prisoner making fun of him on his left, and there's one on his right. Why are you making fun of him? He's done nothing wrong. He says, Jesus... I'm about to die. I've done a bunch of bad things. Don't forget me. Don't forget me in paradise. And Jesus has been like, oh, I lost hearing in my ears. I, I can't hear you. But you're talking to me, and I'm, I'm talking to you, Jesus. Don't forget me. Still can't hear you. Okay, Jesus. But he, he, just, he puts away himself for a second. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He's on the cross, and he sees his mom. And he says, hey, mom. 
He sees his best friend, John. He says, John, here's your mom. Mom, here's your John. Y'all hang out. Take care of him. We see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's about to go. He's just been betrayed by Judas. Here comes those disciples pulling out their swords, cutting ears off. Jesus is going to say, well, I know what you're about to do to me, so stinks to be you. No. He picks up the ear. He brushes it off. He attaches it, puts it on. 30 seconds later, that same guy could have been punching him in the face. That in the moment of his pain and suffering, over and over again, he reaches out. He reaches out. He reaches out. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, he's locked up in a jail cell. And he could have said, woe is me, here I am. No earthquake this time. I've been in here for years. Been praying and singing. Been doing all this stuff and nothing's happening. Where's the earthquake? Maybe I need Silas here. Maybe he's the guy. He just starts helping others. He just starts writing books and sending them to churches. He just starts in the, in the letters. He's saying, bring this person here. I need him. Bring this person here. I need him. Send this person over here. He's like in the Christian mob. He's just like ordering all these things to happen, moving things. There was an Air Force colonel by the name of George Russell Barber. He was a chaplain during World War II. And he got assigned to a company that was going to land on D-Day in Normandy, the beaches of Normandy. And he climbs down on the boat with the rest of the soldiers, and they're going toward the shore. As a chaplain, he has no weapon at all. His goal, his mission is to minister to the people that are dead and dying. And it says that as they're going up to the beach, the boat to his left explodes as it hits a mine. The ramp falls down, and he barrels over the side, and comes up out of the water, and there's bullets everywhere. And there's men to his left and to his right that are dying, that are getting shot, and he has no weapon. He has, he has no form of protection. And all of a sudden, as he sees men dying, he walks up next to them. With bullets flying by, the same ones that killed these people could kill him. And he says, the only thing I kept mustering and saying to these people was trust in God. Trust in God. And then he'd scurry over to the next person. And he'd whisper in their ear, and they would pass away. And He didn't have to go far, because he'd go to the next person. He stayed on the beach the entire day. Did not get shot at all but ran from person to person. He was the last person to speak into these men's lives as they went on to eternity, as they laid on the beach. He was supposed to climb a 100-foot wall to continue on with his group, but he couldn't make it. So he had to dig a ditch that night and sleep on the beach. He said this. He said, I prayed as if everything depended on the Lord, and I dug as if everything depended on me. The Lord and me got that foxhole pretty deep. No matter how bad the situation is, there's always time. There's always an opportunity to help other people. Help other people. In the, moment, in, the, in the moment of your weakest moment, find a way to reach out to someone else. Because you never know in that moment that you could have saved a life. 
that you could have blessed other people. You see, the miracle that's discussed in this story is talking about just the big earthquake that happened. But if we read through this story, there are multiple miracles that God used throughout this whole circumstance. As they pray and as they worship and as they lift God on high in this moment, the earthquake does happen and it does free them. But the next miracle that happens is God saves a life. The next miracle happens is this man gets saved. The next miracle that happens is his household gets saved. The next miracle that happens is this man washes and bandages Paul and Silas. They don't have any disease. They don't have any sickness. He feeds them. He takes care of them. He restores them. The next miracle that happens is all of a sudden, Paul whispers into somebody's ear and says, hey, I know you're letting us free, but, but I'm a Roman, and you didn't take me to trial. You, you just gave me a beating that, that I didn't deserve, so uh, what are you going to do about it? All of a sudden, oh my goodness, we, uh, we, didn't, we didn't know. We, uh, we're sorry. But because of that situation, we see that at the end of the chapter, he goes to Lydia's house. He says he encourages the brothers. He tells those brothers and Lydia and them, hey, don't worry about it. I got the cops under wrap here. We're going to build the church here. We're going to grow the church. Which, what I've done here, let's make it go worldwide. And through this whole thing, we see this trail of God's hand show up miraculous time and time again. He frees them, but he takes them even farther than they could imagine. He heals them. He restores them. Because of simple principles. Taking your eyes off the problem. Submitting to authority. And just helping others. Something that each and every one of us can do. And by doing these things, God's miraculous hand can suddenly show up at any moment, at any point in time in our lives. And so as we close tonight, we're going to have the band, or we'll just have you, we'll just have you come up. Whenever I was in high school, I went to camp, and um, it was my senior year, and I was, I was uh, like really too cool for, for church, and, and I wasn't really in the best of places. And my youth pastor told me, um, we were in a youth group meeting and I was in the back and I was just like thugging it in the back with my friends and, and he's telling everybody, it's the last night to sign up for camp and you need to go to camp. And I wasn't planning on going because I mean, I was like a homeschooled gangster, like you don't even know. And there was, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 kids in the room, and he goes, you need to go to camp. And he looked right at me dead in the eye. And even in my stupidity, even in my, my running away from God, I knew that he was talking to me, and I knew that, that God was calling me to go. And I thought, all right, whatever. So I went and talked to my mom. I said, hey, mom, give me some money. I got to go to camp. She's like, all right, here you go. So I go to camp. And I decided at camp, you know what, God, like, I need to hear from you. I need to experience you. I, I need something to happen. I need something. So just, just show up. And, and one of the nights of camp, I, I was just going through some things, and I was just trying to work some things out, and I just, I just didn't feel like God was anywhere near me. I just felt far away from Him. 
And so in the middle of the worship set or the, I don't remember what happened, but I remember walking over to the youth pastor and I started kind of just talking to him about what was going on in my life. I said, man, I, I just need to hear from God. Like, I, I just don't know if he loves me. I don't know if he cares. I, I don't know what's happening. And so my youth pastor leans back into my ear and he goes, I want you to worship God as loud as you can. I want you to praise him like you've never praised him before. He says, and I guarantee if you do that, God will show up. I said, nah, man, like, you don't know me. Back row gangster, that's what I do. I don't worship God. I don't, I don't make loud noises. He said, well, here it is. That's what you got to do. So he walked away, and there I am standing up at the front, and all of a sudden it gets eerie quiet. I mean, there's not a soul talking. It's like God told everybody to shut up and be quiet because something was about to happen. And here I am just standing there in the middle, just thinking, do I really want to listen? Do I really want to do what he said? What are people going to say? What are people going to do? What, what? Too cool for this. I said, well, I need to hear from God, so let's, let's see what happens. So with all the 12th grade courage I could muster, I yelled out, Jesus! And I just start praising Him, lifting Him on high. And the, the, the amount of God that, that hit me that day, something I'll never forget because it literally, by myself, I went back two or three rows and fell down, knocked over all these chairs, and it really got quiet then. My youth pastor came and picked me up. I remember just shaking from the power of God and, and just being overcome with emotion of His peace and His love. And, and He brought me back up to the front and He says, if there's anybody else in the room that feels distant from God and feels like they can't experience God, I want you to come up here. And all of a sudden, all my friends who I, I thought that I was going to embarrass myself and they were going to laugh at me start lining up in the front. One person, two person, three person, four person, five person. And I can't even stand. I can barely move. And my youth pastor is holding me and he's whispering in my ears. And he's saying, just put your hand out and touch him. And now I'm praying over people in my youth group, friends that I know are going through things, that are doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And as I'm laying hands on them, they're falling under the power of God. And one after another after another. And people just start experiencing God like they've never experienced Him before. And it's working and flowing through me. And there's this anointing. And there's this power. And there's this electricity that's just flowing through me. And all I did was worship God in my weakest moment. All I did was submit to the authority of what the craziest thing He told me to do. All I did was help others. And God showed up. He forever changed my life in that moment that I knew He cared. I knew He loved me. It's three simple things, but some of the most powerful things that will change your life. And as we finish today, we're just
We're just going to put those three into action right here, right now. What we're going to do is just going to worship for a couple seconds. She's just going to sing and we're just going to worship. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.